22, I think it was. Yeah. I didn't want to race anymore. I wanted to be a broadcaster. Like I wanted to announce alongside Scotty or whoever was the announcing. And I talked to AFT about that and there was some interest, but apparently not enough. And so I would have called it a career at that point. Like I would have been totally fine being an announcer because that still keeps me at the races. And I really had a lot of enjoyment being able to analyze the way the races were handled. And I really feel like I can bring something to the table there to help our sport grow with the production value that I can bring. Episode 148, Tank Slapping Podcast. We did a pure rewind show and back at it with a interview pod. It's been a minute, Eric, since we've done an interview pod. Actually, this is your first one, right? First interview pod? Yeah, we've had a few call-ins, but this is the first time that uh, I'll be doing an interview pod. So let's see how it goes. Yeah, you said you're nervous, but uh, I, I actually like the interview pods better. It's kind of our, it's what we started with, with this show was, uh, was interview pods. And it's just... Uh, Interview pods are a little bit more work because you got to get the you have to get the guest and make sure the guest has good audio and you know plan a time and so we've kind of been slacking with these interview pods but honestly it's it's why we did this podcast and I like them the best honestly and we have a good one today man we have a really good uh, a guest coming on uh, Colby Carlisle singles champion G and G rider uh, this is one that. I didn't think would happen for a long time, but it's it's happening and I'm excited for it, man. It's gonna be cool to kind of chat with Colby and and honestly get some insight from from like his his early days riding and his championship years and then all all along to where he is now riding my my former motorcycles with uh with G racing. So it's gonna be a good one, Eric. I'm stoked, honestly. It should be good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's gonna be a lot of fun. I uh I yeah, I've got some uh, some good questions to uh, ask to put you both on the spot. So it'll be, <laughs> it'll be <good. laughs> I love it. Well, let's shout out a few of the sponsors and we'll bring Colby right on. Uh, I want to thank Mission Foods, our title sponsor of the pod, for keeping us rolling. Go buy some tor- tortilla shells, some tortilla chips. We actually just had tacos last night, and then with like the leftover turkey Amber had, we did like a like nachos for lunch today. I was pretty pretty pumped on that. I came out to the kitchen and we had some some nachos with some mission chips and yeah, just keeping it rolling. Appreciate mission foods for everything they do for the industry, everything they're doing for the sport and especially our podcast. Want to give a shout out to bell power sports, check out bellhelmets.com to view their full line of products, moto helmets, flat track road race. The race star flex is the helmet of choice. The quality and safety is unmatched. If you start tank slapping, you want to be protected by bell I want to give a shout out to Dunlop motorcycle tires, 19 inch, 17 inch flat track tires, off-road moto street, I was watching Loretta Lynn's today, Eric. It was the day one Loretta's and so many riders shouting out Dunlop on the podium. So really cool to see my, my buddy Noah though. I don't know. He was like up to, he was like 17th in college boy. And then he crashed was back to 35th. And I think he ended up finishing like right around 20th. So I texted him. I said, get your shit together, bro. But yeah, big shout out to Dunlop for supporting so many different disciplines and racing and, and keeping the pod going. We appreciate that. Without further ado, let's get him on the pod. Colby Carlisle. What's good, man? How are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? I'm well. Eric's Wait. got a fudged up knee or whatever he's got going on. But uh yeah, it's it's going all right, man. You uh yeah. had, had Peoria over the weekend and you're 
a Peoria local now, which I just found out, honestly, like about a month ago. Uh, I think you mentioned that you live in in Peoria. So what's that transition like? How far are you from the track? Um, it's definitely a different transition. I'm still not exactly sure how I ended up here, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's coming great. <laughs> I uh, Actually, my mechanic that I had last year, he lived here with his family. So I ended up spending a bunch of time here and it uh, was centrally located, even though I didn't do a bunch of racing last year. And then I ended up meeting a girl and I've uh, got a really nice girlfriend now and decided to buy a house here in Peoria. It wasn't like crazy housing market like the rest of the country, it seems to be. So I was able to grab some real estate here and uh, here I am about 18 minutes from the TT track. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, a lot of people know I grew up in Springfield, and I my last few years in the service, I ended up at the guard base there in Bartonville. So I'm very familiar with uh, East Peoria and uh, specifically the bars down by the river. So uh, it's a good place. You just gotta, you got, yeah, you gotta, you gotta make it a good place. But it can be good. Did you lose some money on the boat? <laughs> that I can remember. Peoria is not that bad, honestly. Like uh, we said it on the Rewind pod compared to, I mean, the coin, like that place sucks. I'm really sorry, like Southern Illinois people, but like Peoria, I I got stuck there last year for a week and it wasn't that bad. I mean, there's places to eat. There's places down by the river. It it wasn't, it wasn't bad. I mean, I I actually, I thought Peoria would suck a lot more than it did. It was, it's not bad. So yeah, it's, no, like when you're coming down 74 down like like right over the bridge and stuff, there's like a skyline and stuff like it. It's like, a, oh, OK, Peoria is not that small. So, no, no, it's yeah. It's yeah. Not that bad. Yeah. It's Let's, just like any city. It's uh, growing, but there's definitely some good spots here. Yeah, let's chat about the TT quick. And then I, I mean, I want to talk about your career a lot, man. I, I want to get into some of the amateur stuff. I vaguely remember I. I remember you mainly racing like Kawasaki. I think it was like a 250 or 125. I don't remember you on like 85s or honestly, if if you even rode 85s, I'm sure you did. But, um, you know, there's a lot, lot to chat about that I'm genuinely interested in. Um, but talking about Peoria, that's just because that was over the weekend. It's fresh in your mind. What did you think of of the TT this year? And And do you prefer racing a single there or do you prefer racing a twin? I preferred it when it had two jumps. <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a crazy big jumper. Um, I actually had some success there when there was two jumps, but ever since then on a twin, I've never really done very good there. I mean, it's pretty tough for me. Uh, I'm not like the greatest motocrosser. Like a lot of the guys that race flat track now are really good motocrossers, and I pretty much put myself at like the back end of that. So jumping's not my strong suit. And especially at Peoria, you know, the first time I ever went there in 2013, it was my second pro race. I crashed over the jump and broke my hand. So it's been, um, it's definitely not my favorite place. I, I just can't ever vibe too much with jumping all from right to left. And then I like to think I'm decent on TTs, like especially the speedway ones where we go on the asphalt and stuff, but something about Peoria with the one jump, I just, can't really vibe with yeah Interesting. so yeah I, you mentioned, I, I agree for sure you mentioned growing up you didn't do a lot of um 
motocross or anything like that. And I know that we're talking about Peoria right now, but I'm going to break the rules. Sorry, sorry, Corey. But growing up, were, were you just a flat tracker and your only time really doing anything other than a circle was TT or, or what, you know, like what is it about the TT specifically? Was it just development or, or kind of walk us through that? Uh, no, it was my dad. My dad didn't want me to race motocross. He um, just thought it was dangerous. Like uh, he, my parents owned a motorcycle shop. So they would all, always see like uh, kids that they helped out racing motocross with like a broken collarbone here, or broken leg there. So for some reason, my dad just kind of had like this uh, idea that motocross was really dangerous. So until I was like, probably honestly, 16 years old, I didn't ride motocross ever. Like I never jumped a bike until I was probably 16, maybe 15. And I actually had to have my mom take me to a motocross track because my dad wouldn't take me. He was still <laughs> protesting. So it just, um, wow. yeah, I never, I never not turned left unless it was a TT track until I was, you know, a young adult, like 15, 16 area. Yeah. Hmm, it's actually crazy. Cause I was kind of the same way. I mean, back, back when I started, it, it wasn't common for riders to really ride much moto. And now it's, it's like, if you're not riding moto, you're, it's, you're way off like the program. I mean, every, everybody's riding moto and, and I wouldn't say you're bad at moto. Um, I've motored with you and you're, you ride solid on the moto track. I think it's just a testament to how fucking good everybody is now at riding moto. It's, it's really underrated how fast guys go. I mean, I would think the slowest pro flat trackers, most of them, like, like the twins guys and the top singles riders are, they're probably, they probably would top three or top five, your local B race. Like, I mean, they're not bad. Um, but, but some of the good guys are just really good. It's, it's actually crazy. The level, the level that, you know, where we're at right now, I'm sure you'd probably agree with that. Yeah, no, for sure. I think like, some of the guys that motocross with us are so fast. Like when we go down to Florida in the winter time, the level of guys that we have like Briar and JD and Dallas, those dudes are seriously quick, like back level a riders They're They know how to do it really well. Um, and I've tried to like learn some, like my buddy, he's a pro motocrosser. He actually just got six in college boy and Loretta's today. And he tries oh, to help me out with some stuff, but I just, uh, I think at this point, like when you get to a certain age in, I guess I've got a level of where I like, don't want to get hurt doing it. So I just don't put in too much emphasis into like learning to jump a new way and hitting big jumps and stuff. It's just, I'm not super keen on it anymore. So with that, I mean, obviously, you know, Corey and I, we both have young kids and, uh, so I'm really interested in that development of riders. Um, and I just wonder, because there's, I mean, there is moto out here, but there's also a really big super moto. Um, and I wonder if, um, you know, kids, if they're introduced to that or road racing would kind of have the same success because, you know, you don't want kids to get discouraged, you know, from where they grow up. Like, oh, there's not a moto scene around here per se. I, you know, I'm going to be behind the eight ball. Do you think you could get that same level of success uh, at the higher levels by doing other platforms and motorcycle racing? Yeah, like JD, I don't think JD motocrossed a bunch when he was a kid. I think, um, and then road racing for him, I don't think started super early either. But I think you just kind of pick up on those platforms pretty quick naturally, or 
you have to work harder for it. Like motocross is definitely something I've always had to work really hard for. Um, but I don't think motocross has to be the only form of cross training. Like JD, you know, spent obviously most of his time road racing, but you can't road race at home and stuff. So he really, during the week, he mainly does like a lot of turn track stuff. So I think really any form of cross training helps, but I definitely think motocross is the best for getting the physical fitness aspect. Yeah. It's actually crazy how it's underrated as well. How, how tough riding a 30 minute moto is compared to other forms of training, like running a, you know, a 10 K or bicycling 30 miles, a 30 minute moto is so hard. It's, it's so, it's so taxing. Your heart rate is, is spiked. And yeah, I, I would agree. I don't think it's the only form needed, but you gotta be on a dirt bike. I, I feel for sure. Um, but going back to the beginning, man, uh, I know you're from Canadagua. I, I don't probably said that wrong, but you're from like the Medina area. Uh, it's actually a really cool part of the country. When we went up there for, I think it was rolling wheels. That track was called or whatever. It's actually really pretty. I mean, it's a bunch of lakes everywhere and it, the weather is not scorching humid and it's a pretty nice part of the country. And I know your family, you guys own, um, like a cycle shop, you, Casey Helmet World, I think is the name of it, your dad. And so you you have a background in motorcycling and, you know, Medina is kind of your local track. Talk about how you got started in sort of flat track and the journey, like your early years in in doing it. Yeah, so I'm from uh, Canada, New York, which we had a track uh, about 25 minutes away. It was called uh, Paradise Speedway. It was like this absolutely perfect clay quarter mile. like Geneva, right? It would get groove on. Yep, Geneva. Yep. And it would get this groove on it like 20, 30 feet wide sometimes. And it was like the perfect level of grip. And there'd be nights where it was like slippery or nights where it was like stupid tacky. And um, that was really close to our house. So one time this motorcycle shop was going out of business in our town and at this point i only had a ttr 90 yamaha so it didn't even have a clutch and um i only had that because we had like 60 acres of land on this mountain near our house and my dad would go there and cut wood so he would bring me on my dirt bike and i would just kind of ride around and stuff so i never had any aspirations of racing at that point i didn't even know what flat track was um, i think i maybe watched motocross if it was on tv that day or whatnot but motorcycling was just something I did while my dad was cutting wood. So it definitely was on the back burner, but my dad always wanted to race flat track when he was younger and a kid, he did some trials riding up in Canada, but he never did flat track. He never really had the funds to do it. So there was a motorcycle shop in Canada going out of business and they had a KX 85 left and it was on clearance because the shop was going out. So my dad actually ended up buying it, like didn't even really tell me. He just kind of went out and bought it. And then um, me and him over the winter time, we built it and we ended up just going to Geneva, which was about 25 minutes away. And they raced cars and stuff there. But the first time we went there, Justin Jones was there too, because he's from that area. And, um, he actually let me win the race. <laughs> so at that point, I thought I beat him and little did I know he let me win. But I'm like, dang, this is easy. Maybe I can, maybe I can do good at this. And you know how it is the first time you race. It's just so much 
fun. And then at that point, that's all you really want to do. So, so when you grew up, you, you talk about, uh, you know, Ryan was there. Who else um, uh, was kind of in that scene that you kind of grew up with that has eventually made it into American flat track that was, you know, kind of there from the start? Justin Jones was definitely the first, um, and he helped him and his father helped me out tremendously uh, along my career, just with the knowledge. Cause my dad, you know, didn't know anything about flat track and I didn't know anything. So him and his dad were very nice to us with giving us information and little tips here and there about where to go and what to do. So that was nice. And then obviously Ryan's from the same area and he's had a lot of success too. And, Austin Luzak was also from kind of that same Western New York area. And I think all of us have done uh, pretty well. Yeah. I so thought that bad, actually is a, follow- a bad scene. Honestly, it's, no, it's not. quite a few good guys. So I got a follow up to that one because you called it Western New York. So I have to go off on a tangent here. Is it upstate New York or is it Western New York? I, cause someone that's not from, that area, I get really confused with how often people will say everything's upstate, but I just thought I just needed that clarification from somebody who's actually up there. Typically, I say upstate, but okay. technically upstate is just the uh, northeastern part. So I would tip, I would <sighs> be in western New York, but I like to say upstate. You just have to clarify something because if you say New York, everyone thinks it's the city. <laughs> I mean, okay, I get really yeah. confused. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's some pretty good guys that you uh you raced with, but I mean, I've never been to, I never raced Medina ever, and I actually I did a practice day at Geneva one time. Uh, Jay Shelton actually got me in, and I did a a little test day there prior. I think it was honestly prior to Rolling Wheels, so I got to ride that track, but I've never done Medina, so I'm trying to think where I seen you ride first. It might have been Frederick, dude. Honestly, I I remember you riding Frederick. I, it was a zinger. I don't know what it was, 125 or 250. And you fucking launched it up the hay bales, pretty much jumped over the fence. That was you, right? I'm not wrong on this. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was on my 450. Oh, I, was it? Okay. Uh, yeah, I put that, I had that fence post hit me right in the man parts. And I was, oh. I, I hit between the fence post and then that freaking uh, wood telephone pole. And I was just laid there just out of breath for a while that yeah that was bad it was actually after the checkered flag kind of embarrassing <laughs> that's like probably my earliest memory of you honestly i i mean i've probably seen i've probably seen you ride at amateur nationals or wherever along the way but i vaguely i, I remember that because i was standing in turn one and i was like holy shit dude like uh it could have been way worse right i mean that was oh yeah you you shot in the outer space and landed and yeah it was it was gnarly so that's that's kind of my my early memory of you riding but going like along the early parts of your career i would say you're a rider who had to work for it work for it a little bit more i don't think you had the uh, the outmost raw talent you just kind of were always always kind of like the second or third place guy, whoever was ahead of you, you're always kind of in the top three, in the top five, whatever, as an amateur, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, your amateur scene, it didn't come easy for you, right? Like going to amateur nationals and things like that. You you weren't always the guy winning amateur races. Um, you definitely had to work for where you were as an amateur. 
I was, yeah, I was super mid tier, like, uh, definitely didn't win any, uh, real amateur national classes that were important, like 450 mod. I, you know, I could maybe get a fifth and an eighth and just super mid, even like when I was young, um, when I was on 85s, we never raced outside of New York. And then when I was on 125s and 250s, we kind of started to venture out to like Ohio and Springfield and stuff. But super mid-tier, um, towards the end of my amateur career, I started doing, I guess, the best on like, uh, I probably got the most notice, I guess, in the, I was racing a 450 and then I was racing a 252 stroke in the 250 class. And I would start to win like Springfield short track and Springfield TT. So I did good at those. But then when I'd race the 450 class, it was still kind of mid result, nothing, nothing really special. So yeah, I would definitely say I've never been like the guy with all the talent and I would like, I'm definitely not the fastest guy. That's for sure. Um, I just think on days I can figure it out really good, but I'm definitely not like raw speed. I don't in my style does not look like raw speed either. <laughs> so that, that lines up with what I was going with, with next is, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, but you're kind of a legend in terms of like fill in time with Scotty as an announcer. And um, one of the reasons why everybody enjoyed when you were announcing is you're so analytical and you understood things at kind of a granular level and do you think that not always having it handed to you not always being the fastest younger guy it caused you to have to learn at a deeper level um because it all kind of clicked for me when you said that i was you think about a lot of the you know pros like Michael Jordan, he sucks as a, a businessman in basketball because he was just good at basketball. There's so many good athletes that can't turn around and do it just because they were naturally talented, whereas guys have to fight for it, uh, really understand things. So um, do kind of like think Steve that Kerr, honestly, a little bit. If you think about yeah, like Steve yeah. Kerr, you know, guys like that, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what what do you think about that? Do you think that kind of helped in your understanding? Uh, on uh yeah. you know having this yeah i think so i think um like you said it wasn't easy for me to win like uh even when i won the championship you know i didn't win a race i was never like the fastest i was always just the guy that was there and even like at the starts of some of these races you know even now um or like last year in the production twins my first couple laps are so slow and then i have to work my way up through I just, I've never been able to figure out why that is. It's rare for me to start off super fast and kind of like a train where I kind of got to work my way up to it. Um, but yeah, I would say I had to study a lot. Uh, I just, you know, I was just kind of like a normal dirt track kid, I guess, watching, you know, the Ricky Graham tapes and old races and AFT races on fans choice before I could race and everything. I, uh, I don't know. I guess the analytics part is I, um, you know, I'd like to think that I spend a lot of time reading and other stuff like that, which probably helps my analytics. And then I watch a lot of sports like basketball and motocross and stuff. And I really pay attention to the announcers. And like, after I did that deal with Scotty last year in Lima, when I was watching races from then on, I was actually paying more attention to the way that they were speaking rather than actually watching the game or the race or whatever it was I was watching. I really started to pick apart how they talk. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I I was gonna get to the announcing thing actually. Eric fucking jumped me on that, <laughs> but that was uh, yeah, I I thought that was something you did really well, and I went back honestly, honestly. I'm just gonna be throughout this whole pod. I'm just being honest. I actually I listened to the um when you were announcing. I went back and listened after practice before the heat race. I kind of went back and I like to hear what people say during practice, whether whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, I like to hear, um, insight from people on what I'm doing or, or what have you. So I actually, a lot of times before my heat race, I'll go back and I'll watch practice and I'll turn it up. Cause I want to listen to what the announcers like either think I'm doing or what, you know, some of that insight. And, uh, yeah, I was impressed, man. I thought you did a really good job with that. And, was uh yeah it was super refreshing to kind of not that they do a bad job but it's nice to hear somebody new and the insight of uh of that whole deal so yeah it was really cool but going back i don't want to skip too far ahead right now cuz you had a really big really big win i think they called it back then it was the GNC2 class still and i'm just spitballing a year honestly without having your stat i should actually fucking pull your page your AFT page up but I think it was 2015 you won in Charlotte and 16 16, right on. See, I was wrong. 16, you got your win in Charlotte and that was kind of an underdog win. Honestly, at that point in your career, I don't know if you had any podiums, you might've had one or two podiums, but yeah, it was kind of an underdog win and it kind of puts you on the map a little bit. And it was a really good ride. Like I, at that point, I think 2016 was the year Ryan Wells was really dominant on the, uh, on the Parkinson bikes. And I think it was Wells and maybe it was Gautier or I think that's who was in it. Gautier and Wells. And you came up and won the, won the race. And that, that kind of puts you on the map. And I know that was a really cool moment for, for you, for you and your family, but going into that, I mean, did you, were you close? Like at what point did you actually feel like when you turned pro I can do this as a career? I mean, was it anything prior to that or was that kind of your moment? I had a few podiums before that. I can't remember how many, um, but like specifically before that race, Lima, I believe was the round before that. And I didn't even make the main event that night, which was pretty, um, pretty big letdown for me. So going into Charlotte, I wouldn't say I was expecting to win or like, it probably didn't even cross my mind. Kind of like all those races, really, I was just going and do the best I could. I never really thought like today, I could win. Um, but that day I remember the race really well. It was pretty much a dogfight, and there was like three restarts and it really put me through the mental paces and Ryan and Godier and me, we were all battling really hard. I mean, there was some huge dive bombs going on between Ryan and Godier and I was kind of trying to figure out my own deal rolling the top to stay out of that carnage. But yeah, even on the last lap, I think Ryan tried to run high into four but I had a good enough run where he wasn't able to do anything with it. And that was a huge win for me. Like to like when I started as an amateur kid, I would have never thought I would have won a race. I um, would just have been happy making main events and stuff. But so for me to actually be able to win a race, that was unbelievable really. I mean, so many kids just dream of doing that. So for me to actually be able to do it was amazing, but I, I guess I dreamed of it, but I never really thought it would come through fruition. So was that your kind of the, the catalyst for uh, signing your deal 
with Essenson the following year? Was that like, you know, what Corey was talking about, it kind of put you on the map. Was that, um, were you already in talks for that? Or was that kind of your uh, kick down the door moment to where you can kind of go out and start to sell yourself? And then you eventually got a good, uh, you know, ride and, um, and the, you know, the rest that I would say that second half of your career really kicked off from there. Do you think that that was kind of the catalyst? No, I don't think that win really did anything for me other than um, just self-confidence. Like uh, at that time, Parkinson had Ryan and um, going into the next year, I'd never really reached out to too many people at that point. I didn't even, I don't think anyone really knew what essence and racing was. It was such a small, um, small ordeal at that point still. So like the team to be on would have been Parkinson and I don't think I reached out to them until me and Craig got in talks like three or four rounds in into 2017. So that win in Charlotte really just kind of gave me confidence to move forward that maybe I can keep doing this. You know, I can keep getting podiums and maybe a career out of this is something that's potential. But in 2016, a career out of flat track was, you know, far and between it was really tough at that point i think after i won charlotte i made maybe 1500 purse and then could have been maybe a thousand bucks honda contingency or something like that so 2500 dollars, and then the rest of the races that year i probably made between 200 and 500 each race so a career at that point was still kind of tough but you know i still had my family's full support at that point helping me get to the races and their bikes and stuff so I was just really happy to be able to win one. And then at that point, you know, I have confidence now because once you win one, you think you can win more. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. Um, but going into 2017, obviously that was, was your championship year. And f- from what I remember, it was kind of crazy. Cause I think you started off on a privateer Honda and then you got the ride with Parkinson and then you went from Parkinson to Essenson and, and I was going to talk about kind of the, I mean, you, you were with Essenson for, like you mentioned the early years where nobody, I mean, I remember Tim's first, first ever deal was with like Colt Chabolts or whatever from Kansas. And he, they showed up with this really nice rig, but nobody ever heard. I mean, back then it was Essenson logistics and it was just so different at like how fast Essenson has grown over the years is, is actually crazy. And you've, you've been a part of that, um, which I want to talk about the differences in the bikes over the years, but that 2017 year is actually crazy because you won the championship, but you rode, you mentioned you didn't win a race and you rode for three different teams essentially. So talk about the whirlwind of that season in an, in like a nutshell. Going into that season, um, kind of like we talked about earlier, I never in my dreams would have thought that I would have a hope at the championship. I was able to get a sponsorship, you know, through an outside company. That was my first ever sponsorship deal where I got legit cash. So I had a small budget to start off the year and I was really trying to uh, alleviate my parents some from having to spend their hard-earned money for me to go racing professionally. So I had a small budget and I had some privateer Hondas that, you know, me and my dad, we really tried hard to make some good bikes. We had some Ron Hamp engines at that point, but me thinking forward, thinking about winning a championship was non-existent. So, you know, immediately I got a podium at Daytona I got third behind um, Dalton and Wyatt Anderson. And then we went to Charlotte and Atlanta. And I did kind of, um, I think top five results, maybe a sixth at one of them, but then Dalton got popped for the um, drug test deal. 
And at that time, Dalton was racing for Estenson, but still I had no idea who they were. Like I didn't even know Estenson logistics at all. I had no idea what that deal was. So then moving forward, I, Craig called me after Dalton got popped and we talked about working on working together for the rest of the year. And at that point, the Parkinson bikes, obviously they were the bike to be on at that point. And so I was so excited to be able to hop on those, but it was also the year that they made the exhaust um, decibel rule change. So on the Parkinson bikes, we had to change that. And that kind of affected quite a few things. So between me and the bikes um, being changed, we didn't do as well as we would have liked. And then I guess the final straw there was at Lima, the exhaust broke and uh, we decided to part ways after that. And then I went, that was when I started to get in talks with uh, Tim about riding for them because they hadn't really done anything since uh, Dalton got popped. So they still had Sammy Helbert, but so I talked to Tim about that. And at that point, we didn't have time to get the Yamahas ready for me to race. So I went to New York on just a bone stock Honda and I was able to get another podium there. So I got third place there. And after that, I went out and got the Yamahas and they were in shambles. Um, they were not in good shape because of some stuff that happened off the record. So me and the team kind of pieced those back together. And then I had Andrew Butler helping me at that point And we drove out to Yamaha. We dynoed them and they dynoed terribly at the factory Yamaha. Uh, it was like, it was like very bad and almost embarrassing is what we thought. But then, so we got up to Castle Rock and at this point we don't think the bikes are super fast, but so we go out and I qualify. There's 19 people there at Castle Rock and I, in F free practice one, I'm 17, like terrible. And at this point I'd podiumed, you know, a lot of races and I was pretty much top five most of the time. So I'm like, Oh my God, did I just make the worst decision ever? And, you know, me and Andrew kind of put our heads down and we were able to get the bikes going. And this was the first time I ever rode a Yamaha. So it kind of should have been like, I should have seen it coming that it was going to be tough, but the bikes were still at that point kind of set up for Dalton. But that night we were able to get a third place finish. And in that race, I passed two people down a straightaway. So I quickly realized that the dyno numbers weren't accurate. Everything, that bike was so good and so fast after me and Andrew were able to tune it and get it the way we wanted. And then from there, you know, it, like at that point, I still didn't really understand what Estenson Racing was going to become. It was, um, at that point, it was just me, my dad, and Andrew in our van and their trailer going to these races. At that point, we kept the bikes uh, upgrading them and getting me more comfortable. You know, we tried some different things with clamps and stuff like that. And then we were able to come out with a heavy wheel and we just kept, you know, grinding away, getting podium. And the rest, you know, was uh, history between me, Brandon Price, and Shana. It was all a really tight battle down to the end. So at what point, so we're kind of like moving through the years here. Uh, and so I said, I was going to, I was going to put you guys on the spot. So at what point, uh, have, have, or should I say at this point in 2017 and 18, have we crossed paths with Corey? Has the rivalry kind of started to form, so to speak? I don't think yet. The, the no. catalyst there was uh, 2018 Oklahoma. 
Okay. I mean, up to that point, I I knew. (laughs) No, I mean, I I knew Colby, and we talked a little bit. Um, like we were always cool. I mean, we never prior to that point. I we never like hung out or had dinner or anything. But anytime I'd see him, we would we would chat and whatever. But it was kind of just like a casual deal. But yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of a crazy battle because obviously Shayna was she was involved in in the championship that year. I mean, it came down to kind of the last race, but technically it was basically over. I mean, you basically had to show up at the race, uh, in Paris, I think it was to win the title. Um, but that like, there was any, wasn't anything crazy, any crazy emotions, really like anger on my end <laughs> during the battles. Cause it was just a good, good overall year. And yeah, I think Brandon price, he gets overlooked in that battle as well, because I think he ended up second then with, with everything that happened in the points. So yeah. And then going into 2018. So basically I, I think you, I would, I don't know. Tim might have a different opinion, but I would feel like you, you sparked some excitement with the essence and program winning that championship. Um, obviously, you know, they had some success with some twins riders and with Halbert and Dalton winning races, but winning a title, I would say that kind of sparked Tim's excitement going into 2018 because going into that year, you guys had a, a, it was a very different setup from the, you know, middle of 17 into 18. It looked like the efforts increased in 18. Would that be correct? Yeah. Like even, um, going into the last round, we went from that van and trailer that, you know, got us to the point of having to show up to the last race to get the championship to actually at Paris, we ended up buying a pretty nice hauler, um, from motion pro. So there was like the first upgrade where I would have to say like the interests were getting, obviously it was bigger investment, you know, going into it. And then, yeah, just like you said, probably his uh, interests were getting more and more sparked and more excited about the program. Every, I mean, whenever you start doing good at something, you get more invested and happier and you just want to keep doing better and better. So winning a championship definitely probably uh, got the real, uh, the wheels spinning a little bit quicker. So specifically what let's talk Oklahoma or yeah. Cause the OKC mile uh, that, that you said was definitely the catalyst walk us through that. Cause it's kind of halfway through the, the season, you know, you know, you've seen the results, you know, you start off there with a, you know, an 18 at day at the Daytona TT. But after that, you know, it's going pretty good, but um, so what, what exit walk us through uh, exactly what happened at OKC that was kind of the catalyst for the rivalry to begin. Um, I think like, well, like first I, I'm kind of, uh, I guess I would say like introverted in a way. So I could go to the races and probably just sit in my pit all day and not talk to anybody <laughs> and not try to be like snobbyish that way, but yeah. I'm just like, that's the way I am. So I think sometimes that can be taken the wrong way. Um, but then too, like I also won the championship and I'm getting paid a salary. So like a lot of things are changing in my life and definitely, um, you know, all that stuff happening at 20 or 21 or whatever I was kind of, uh, I wouldn't say like went to my head a little bit, but definitely, um, probably changed me some, Mm -hmm. like I'm not as mature then as I am now. And I have no problem admitting that. So, but I think I'd won two miles. I won Sacramento and then I won, um, red mile and then Oklahoma mile was next. And this whole thing, I think just got kind of, uh, (laughs) 
it kind of escalated quickly, but so it was the heat race and I had a 2017 bike, so I had to kickstart it and it wouldn't kickstart in Oklahoma mile. If you've never been there, the pits like going out of the tracks, a downslope. So it's hard to start your yeah, bike. Yeah. So I think I'm starting, I don't know if I was pole or what I was, I might've been fourth or fifth, whatever. So I can't get my bike going. So the whole heat race is already out there. And I finally get going. So I'm zipping around the track in AFT. They're freaking trying to get everyone lined up fast. And so they started to, I think at this point, Moorhead's pulling Corey forward. So I scoot my way up in there. And like, I thought Moorhead was putting Corey in my spot. So I kind of skim Corey. I don't, we didn't actually touch, but it was close. And then, uh, I could see how Corey would get upset about that. And then um, yeah, after the race, we had some words and it, uh, that's kind of where it all started. <laughs> Corey, was this the year that you had a sour patch helmet? <laughs> no, that was 16. Um, okay. Yeah. So 16 for me and was Corey a really good scooted. He, uh, Corey scooted off of that start so damn fast. Like he was so <laughs> fired up. I mean, he freaking was gone. I think he still beat me in the heat, honestly, but, uh, yeah, I was, uh, so 16 for me, just a quick backstory, like 16 for me was a pretty good year. Like I had two podiums on my twin in the premier class. Right. And then I go on the 17 and kind of echoing what Colby said with all the exhaust bullshit. And, um, I bought a, I bought a fun mover. Like I invested a lot of money in my own program that year. I built three more twins. I mean, I literally pulled every money I had out of my bank account thinking I'd have a, I would grow on that year I had in 16 and I just had a really tough year. Like I ran out of money, like toward the end of the year, I ended up riding. Um, I sold a couple of my bikes. I ended up riding for Dave Atherton. And then at that point, like I was washed up and uh, nobody wanted, wanted to put me on their bikes or whatever. So in 2018, Robbie McClendon was like, Hey, let's ride a single. And uh, to be honest at that point, the singles class, it was a lot different. And just being honest in general, like, my, my opinion on this has changed over the years, but I didn't think Colby at that time was as good as he was. I'm like, all right, well, Colby won the title. I feel like I could probably go out there and be competitive, um, with the guys out there. And, uh, Shana's my sister. She just got third in the points. And I just felt like I could build a singles program and go out there and be competitive. And, uh, yeah, it just didn't go according to plan. I got my ass kicked very frequently in that class. I struggled with the bikes. And Colby, he, like he mentioned, he won a couple races. And I think, you know, it was frustrating for me, like taking that leap into a single, I got a lot of shit for it from everybody. Oh, he's dropping down and fuck. Nobody mentioned Ryan Wells dropped down and he just won twins rookie of the year, <laughs> but they, they were stressing over me doing it. And I think a lot of that had a lot to do with kind of the me being kind of grumpy kitty and Colby it wasn't that like now if somebody did that to me. I probably just would have just said, fuck it. would just went up and raced. But at that point I was annoyed. I walked over to his pit and got, got an argument. Kolb's dad jumped in and it was just, it went kind of haywire. And, uh, when I walked away, I don't know why the fuck this came to my head, but I just mentioned, I said something like you, you fucking poke the bear, dude. <laughs> and I walked away and I look, I look back and hackers just cracking up. Like as, as serious and mad as I'm trying to be, Hackers just geeking out, thinking it's the funniest thing in the world, which made me more mad. And yeah, so the rest of that was was kind of kind of history. And the yeah. bear thing actually it went away for a while. Like we didn't really mention the bear thing for a couple of years, and then it it popped back up as like an ironic 
funny thing. <laughs> like, Hey, I remember when you said about poking the bear, I think hacker brought it up like two years later. And then I just ran with the bear statement, but, uh, but anyway, that was a interesting year, man. And, and kind of wanted to, I wanted to bring up actually, cause you had a rivalry slightly with Shana. It was less mild than ours was. And then you had, you know, we had our deal. What would you think, um, the differences were in racing Shana and racing me? I mean, what was more, more of a heated rivalry on your end? Um, you know, obviously you're analytical, so I'm just genuinely inter- interested in your kind of opinion on racing Shana and then racing me, like the differences. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's our rivalry, such a, like, I wouldn't even say it's a good word for us. Cause when you and I raced, like we never ran into each other, um, ample room all the time, so much respect, like safety wise on the track. So rivalry is kind of an odd word. I guess rivalry would be just that you wanted to beat me and I wanted to beat you. And it really chapped our asses. If like the other one beat each other more than say, if someone else out there beat us, like if Dalton beat us, it didn't affect us as much as you beat me or I beat you. But I think with Shayna racing, her was pretty much mainly on the single. So it was tougher because she was such a good singles rider and it always seemed to come down most of the time on the miles between me and her where the close battles were. And even on some of the half miles, I think I would say Shane is just really smart out there. She really is super um, calculated. She knows what she's doing where when I raced you, I could kind of like, I knew my strong suits against you and I knew I could some either you were going to kick my ass or I was going to try to have to unravel your feathers a little bit, or it was my track. Like there was no options. Like if we got to a car track, you were going to beat me. If that's how it was going to go, you were going to smoke me where if we got to a track that we were both kind of even, I might be able to like play a little bit of a mental game or something to try to get in your head or try to do something just to get you off your marks a little bit. And then say, if we went to like one of the miles at the end of the year, I was really strong there. So I think, um, that's just what I was able to do. Like we both really had our strong suits and thinking back to 2019, that was pretty much the heat of our rivalry. I don't even remember if me and you ever had any battles on the track that were like gnarly. No, I don't think so. Honestly. I mean, it was kind of separated when you would win, I'd get fourth or something or. Oh, I guess um, red mile. When I came back from my knee injury, I passed you and then you passed me back and then you dropped me like a dirty rag. Yeah. We never, so yeah, I I guess that's fair. Honestly, that's that's a good assessment because we never really like me and Raspoli, we had like way more heated battles on the track, I say, than, than me and you, but yeah, it was mainly, and we would egg each other on a little bit during the week. Like I think you tweeted me once or twice and I, I hammered back and, and then, uh, you guys would always do your, essence and race reports and I'll, I'll be damned bro as soon as those fucking came out i went on that website and i read exactly what you had to say every single every single race report and every single preview i'd get on and i i would just 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 read it and be like fuck this guy like it's like it, it, yeah you, you like that year helped me so much kind of mentally figure my shit out for like the remaining years of my career. And I'm, I've never told you, but I'm actually grateful for, 
for that, um, that kind of ruffling my feathers. Cause it, it helped me a lot. I had to learn to kind of control, control that part of my racing. And, uh, yeah, I just, I appreciate that for sure. It was, uh, <laughs> it definitely helped me uh, a lot in my later years. Yeah. I guess so like it, just, you were faster than me. So a lot of the time, so I had to kind of, you know, figure out something and I was behind so much cause I was a I broke my kneecap, you know, Arizona. So I had to try to come back into those points somehow. So just anything I could do to try to catch up. But I mean, statistically you were, um, doing better on a lot of the car tracks and stuff. So anything I could do to try to get a little bit of an edge to get closer to you. So it sounds like the big difference between like, when you talk about breaking down, uh, what the difference is between racing Shayna and Corey is on the single. The big difference was that you were racing Shana Dana in the main event, but you were racing Corey in the heats. So I'm just I think, um, <laughs> no. And like, I think, uh, with Corey, it wasn't like, we didn't battle. Like there yeah. was really no battles. It was either he was better or I was better. Where with Shayna, like, um, Medellin's mile, like that was a freaking battle between me and her. I mean, that went down to the wire as close as it could possibly get. And, there was multiple like that at Lexington that year. So I think just on the 450, it kind of played toward the closer racing where with me and Corey on the production twins, it was either he was better or I was better. And that was pretty much that. Yeah. So you briefly touched on the injury and um, this was one of the things that I wanted to bring up uh, when I was doing my notes for the podcast, obviously uh, you know, I I'm injured right now. And so there's a lot of um, like internal uh, uh, work you have to do, right? So if there was one thing that you could tell yourself, if like from right now, if you could go back and tell yourself when you were injured back then, what's one thing that you would tell, uh, your younger self about trying to get back onto the track or work for it or a fear of missing out? What's one thing that you've learned over the years and having dealt with that big injury that you'd like to give back? I think, um, into that, not so much like I wouldn't tell myself to wait longer or anything. I never rushed back into it when I wasn't ready. But the one thing I would tell my younger self is while you're racing, be more patient. Like in 2018 there at the start of that season, after I won the championship, I truly believe I would have won the main event that night at the first round in Daytona. And I crashed myself out of the semi in the first 40 feet, just thinking, you know, I was, <laughs> I was the guy I ran my brake lever right into the back of Jake Lewis's arm when I could have waited a lap and passed him down the front straight away. So, and then, you know, Arizona TT, when I broke my knee, I should have been more patient. I should have waited. And then, um, not so much this last injury in Missouri, that was just bad luck, but I would just pretty much tell my younger self, just be more patient. Uh, take your time. You can't win the race on the first lap, but you can definitely lose it. And just, be a little bit smarter, I guess. Um, just basically patience, really. That's good. No, that's definitely good. I One of the things that I like to think, at least that I bring to the podcast, is kind of the the everyman, you know, someone that's not a pro, someone that's, uh, you know, interested in the sport, someone trying to learn. So I always really try and bring out those nuggets for the people that are listening. And so that's really good information. Because I know with my own son, and I know with my own self, that there are so many times where you're looking back and like, God, if I'd have just waited, 
you know, I could have, I could have done more, or this would have happened, or I wouldn't have a ran into a fucking fence at Lima, uh, you know, a lot of those things. So no patience, that's a really good, uh, nugget of information. Uh, I was going to say that if you go back and you watch some of those, you talked about 2019, that was like the annual production twins year. And if you go back and watch, you mentioned those two miles at the end, Minnesota mile, and then the Meadowlands mile. If you go back and watch how fast Eric, if you go back and watch how fast Colby was at Minnesota mile, uh, like him saying like the days where he, he beat me, like, dude, he smoked us. I mean, Minnesota mile and Meadowlands, he could have jumped into this, the, the other twins class and easily, easily finished toward the front. I mean, those, those racetracks during that year, like, especially those last two races, I mean, I kind of, ha- I hung on to the, to the championship, but watching going back and watching those two races that off season it like i was like fuck dude i have a lot of work to do um on those kind of racetracks so those those days you were fast you were very very good and and uh yeah i just if you anybody listening if you go back and watch those definitely uh is it, it was uh pretty pretty crazy how how much speed you had but i wanted to talk about before we go to your super twins uh 2020 and 21 i want to talk about Cause you, then you came back and did production twins in 22, uh, the production twins class, honestly, it got a lot of flack for, it, it was called like the mushroom cup and, and things like that. But, you know, and I think a lot of that was quantity. There wasn't as many riders in that class as there was the singles, but the guys at the top, especially last year, I, I think it was unfair. Like a lot of the, the super twins guys who, were seasoned super twins guys. I don't think they realize how good some of the production twins guys were riding. Um, like you, when you were very fast and Dalton and Bromley and Jesse last year, I mean, the level was, was stout. And I felt like the class didn't get a lot of credit for, and maybe I'm biased. Cause obviously I did well in it, but I feel like there was some really good, good riders on good equipment in that class over the last few years. I agree. I think, um, between the two classes, the speed of the riders could be matched. Like if you would put, say, you or Jesse or James or me in the Super Twins class on some of those days, we would have gone faster. I think, um, I think rider-wise and talent-wise, we were, you know, just as good, or, or at least, you know, good enough to be battling for those five to ten, five to tenth place spots on days. I think the big difference is not speed, I'd say we're just as fast end days, but I'd say the big difference is the intensity. I think with the production twins class, and maybe this is why I didn't win, <laughs> was I think you almost have like a split second to breathe and think a little bit more and like you can have a little bit more of a cushion where in the super twins class, it is absolutely hammered down from the second that light turns green and until the checkered flag comes, there is absolutely zero time to breathe or think where in production twins you could kind of just take a breath for a second you're still going super fast but i just felt like there was at least a little bit more time to just take a breath do you think um like of, of the bikes that are that were in production twins and the bikes that were in super twins do you think that AFT did a very like a good enough job um selling that, you know, because again, I'm I'm the fan 
and and I know that there are you know a number of differences between the bikes or whatever, but now you now you see those production twins riders and bikes up in super twins. Um, do you think that AFT handled that that era as good as they possibly could um, in terms of like you know making it a big enough difference between two classes that someone can understand? Because you know I ignorantly will look at the times you know and it's like all right, not that far off and you see a lot of the production twins guys you know doing well i just what what's your i mean you and Corey, you guys were in it from the beginning to the end and do you think that aft handled that well enough because i have my opinions but yeah you can go ahead on that one Corey. i'll touch on your thoughts <laughs> um yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, I think it's closer now than what it was. Uh, I've talked about on the pod a lot. I don't love, I don't love the the um, the traction control stuff. And I honestly, I think they got so far they got so far into getting the essence in bikes as good as the Indian motorcycle that now the essence in bikes they had such a head start on the rest of the production bikes when they combined the class this year. So. I mean, they were working so hard to beat, you know, race purpose built motorcycles, um, like the essence and bikes, and they have a lot of resources and I'm not, I, I'm not knocking the team. They're a great team and I have a lot of respect for them, but they're trying to catch up to the Indian motorcycle and production, like, like the G and G bike, we just had to try and beat other production bikes. Um, I always felt the equipment and production twins was pretty equal, um, there were some days when I'd race an XG where I'd be pretty frustrated. Um, like some of the slippery clay tracks that I knew I was very, very not trying to be arrogant, but I was really good on those slippery clay tracks and Janish, like at Port Royal, he beat me by like eight seconds, something crazy where it was frustrating for me on the bike I was on. Sometimes that XG would be frustrating to me. Um, I know they did some things with like the ECU that, we weren't allowed, like we couldn't do with like the G and G bike, but generally speaking, there were days that I felt my bike was the best bike on the track. And then when they went to super twins this year, I just think it's so incredibly challenging to go out there and compete with not just the Indian motorcycle, but the, the essence and bikes, because they had such a head start on development where they were already in that class developing things. And it's just not feasible for guys like LJ and G and G and the smaller teams like the Cody John Coxes and uh, I'm trying to think of the riders in the back of the pack to run the TC and to make good use of it. And I think that's why you see a lot of parity in the top teams and riders to the guys in, you know, eight through 12. Cause I don't think you guys are that far off talent. Like, like you mentioned, you, you've had the speed, but it's hard with the equipment right now. Um, I don't think it's far off, but I also don't think it's it's totally the way I would I would like to see it. Um, that's a lot of info. Yeah, Colby, so. I, think, <laughs> I think like like you were saying um, two weeks ago or whatever whatever it was at Bridgeport. Like in the beginning, you know, I was able to hold shot, and then those two guys passed me, and then able I was able to pass Dallas and Jared back and lead a lap. But I think a big difference is you know, on my bike or some of the other bikes, you have to ride absolutely perfect. You cannot mess up at all. And you have to be 100% on your game where, you know, on the Indian or maybe the Essence bike, you can, 
you know, make a little mistake and then the traction control and the big flywheel and stuff that definitely helps recover from the mistake, not taking anything away from, you know, Jared or JD or Dallas or any of those guys, but they're, they have these little tools on their bikes that definitely can help alleviate when you do make a human error. Yeah. Like when you hit a rock going into the final corner at Peoria. No, not, 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 not (laughs) uh, like that. That, that was a big rock. Was, was there a... all main event? It was there oh. all main event long, and I saw it every lap. And <laughs> I uh, feel bad for Dallas for hitting it. I yeah. wish I could see a GoPro of how it happened, but yeah, it was sitting there every lap. It was huge. It's a huge fucking rock. <laughs> when I saw that picture, I was like, "There's no way that was on the track." But uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, no, I I would agree. Yeah, I mean, there was there was moments where yeah, you just. And, and you get caught up racing the, the FTR. And, um, I had this combo with, with JD multiple times in like 2021. And, uh, I'm like, dude, because you guys too, I want to talk about like 2020 to 21. That was a huge change in the essence and program. And even for you, like, honestly, your first year in super twins, I don't think you had a fair shot at doing, doing what you could do because, the equipment, it just wasn't, it wasn't there. I mean, the, the money was put into the bike and there was no lack of effort, but I mean, your best finish in 2020 was 13th and then your best finish in 21. And don't I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you did it twice. I think you had two fifth place finishes. Um, it, it was a huge leap in your program, the bike and and you yourself, obviously it was a confidence builder, but it goes back to me talking you've been with Essence before, you know, from pretty early on in their, in their kind of start in the sport, what was the big, I mean, can you describe the differences in the motorcycle? Um, and you could touch upon maybe the G and G bike a little bit too, cause that's a Yamaha. And I'm just genuinely interested in your thoughts from like the 2021, uh, we caught the, like the, it was like, look like a jet ski kind of, we caught like the jet ski bike and then going into <laughs> to 21, you, you know, it, they opened up the rules a little bit and uh, yeah, I'm just interested in, in the changes and how much it helped. Yeah, we started in 19 with, uh, that big TT bike, the jet ski bike, I guess you would call it. Um, <laughs> and you know, we had Jake and JD both riding twins at that time. JD was part-time, I think, but, uh, Jake and I were full-time on the twins. So we had a lot of parts and then we were having quite a few engine failures with some uh, electronic issues in the middle part of the year. So bikes were kind of, um, I guess, and we were trying so much different stuff. So like we were cutting pieces and doing all kinds of stuff. And then I remember at Sacramento, I ended up somehow having a JNM linkage bike and a, uh, one of those Yamaha TT bikes and something broke in my uh, TT bike. And I ended up racing the linkage bike and I got third that night and I was like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's, try to get me on I'd like to be on a JNM like a normal JNM but I was still on that TT bike for quite a while I think um I can't remember when we switched I think I know I was on it at Springfield and I got second first and then I was on it at Minnesota and I got first there and then New Jersey I was winning there and it broke but I think you heard it at honestly yeah um so yeah, I was, uh, it was doing better then. And I liked that. So then going into 2020, um, I should have had a fifth there to start the year at Daytona. So like 
I'd say that was a rider's track. I wouldn't say like it was bike related. Um, that bike's really good on TTs, but my engine broke with two laps to go. But the rest of the year, it was definitely a struggle. I can't remember. I think we did ride JNMs um, a bit in 2020, but we also did ride that other bike too. And it wasn't like we would try pieces here and there to try to make it better. And it just didn't come together that year. Um, we did make some improvements going into 2021. At this point, we'd be full time on the JNMs, JD and I. And we had some new people coming on board and we did make improvements to the JNM, but it wasn't quite, you know, good enough. We had in 2021, we had those twingled engines and then we also had traction control. So we had a lot of tools, but it still wasn't quite good enough. Wasn't what we needed, but then moving forward, um, what I'd say really helped that program the most is they were able to get really smart people on board, like really intelligent engineers and people. There's um, one guy there, he's an engineer that he actually went to school to learn how to work on like F1 cars and MotoGP stuff and very intelligent man. And I think he and all the other parts of the team came together, you know, to build what they have now. And obviously it's amazing what they have. So it's definitely a lot different than what I had. I never was able to ride that bike with a big flywheel on the side or this new chassis. So it would be interesting. I'd really like to try it and see how it works compared to what we had in 2021. Cause at that point, you know, we were on pretty much a traditional flat track bike where, you know, Jane and built the frames and then we had a dirt track engine builder building the engines they were really fast, but we weren't able to totally get the power to the ground on a lot of days. And we had a really good data guy, but we were learning about TC still at this point. So, but now they've got something that they completely built in house, which is a beautiful piece of art, but I was never able to ride that bike. Interesting. So that, that, that's really good information. I kind of, I don't know. That kind of leaves me stumped. I had a I had a good follow up question, but that's really good insight. I should have known that coming from you. You're, you're good with a good insight. Um, so now, if you were to compare what you rode and with with your experience on the essence and bikes and uh, production twins and super twins, how does that stack when you decided to go with the Las Vegas Harley outfit? Um, it was just the only option available. I'd say like the easiest, uh, I, <laughs> I was going to build a, I was actually going to buy the JNM chassis that I used in 2019 and build a Yamaha engine and race that instead, which would have been cheaper, but I just simply couldn't get like connecting rods and pistons. So <laughs> I would have had to miss the first couple of rounds. So I was like, oh, that ain't going to work. So <laughs> then I, you know, the Harley was available. It was an easy package. You just had to have 40 grand. So I luckily had that money saved up and I, you know, like Corey did in 2016, I think it was, I yanked all the money from my bank account, bought that bike and went racing. It was just, um, it was the easiest option and it was the only option available to me at that point. That was something that I think I could have won the championship on. I uh, had one other team option, but they weren't fully committed to a full year. And at that point, I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to put destiny into my own hands and invest in myself. Yeah, what were your, what were your thoughts on the XG? I mean, uh, 
you didn't do a full season on it, but you got a, you know, a lot of different races on it on different tracks. And, you know, I've always, I rode an XG at X games in 2000, I think it was 18, but it was like, it was like, I hardly call it a racetrack. It was that indoor track, whatever. I think we were in first gear. I, and that was like an earlier XG, but I feel, I feel like the XG was really good on like those clay half miles where it, when it got slippery and it was really good on the miles, like it seemed like they were fast and, um, yeah, I guess general thoughts on the XG compared to the other bikes you've ridden. The XG is sweet. <laughs> like it was really cool. Um, super easy to work on. Uh, it was well built by Vance and Heinz and Harley. They did a really good job designing it, making it super user friendly. Uh, it didn't need a bunch of work. It was, you know, pretty maintenance free for the most part. Um, it handled good. You know, all I did was I had uh, Bergy build me some suspension for it, and then we went racing. I mean, it didn't need anything. I didn't do any special head work or nothing. Just took it racing and immediately had some decent success, I would say. And, you know, I didn't have, like, a crew chief at all. Me and my buddy Chase, who we didn't know much about, like, tuning stuff because I probably should have paid a little better attention earlier on in my career. But it's also tough learning that stuff because every crew chief has their own theories. So then you kind of have to figure out your own theory from their theories. So that part gets tricky, but that's just a testament to how good the XG was because, you know, we would make these changes and we probably weren't making the right changes, but the bike was still really good. You know, it had a really big pocket that we could play around in. and Most of the time we were able to find success on it. Interesting. All right. So with that, we going through the years, we're going now to where you uh, you're Mark Wahlberg in the movie Stepdad and Corey Texter is Will Ferrell. And uh, so how, how does that how has that relationship been for both you and on the flip side for you, Corey, you know, seeing uh, the new guy with the uh, with the ex-wife? Has it been uh, interesting? Have you guys been able to talk shop a lot? Walk us through uh, as I guess this question is for both of you guys. So. What's it been like behind the scenes working with uh, G&G and, you know, uh, you know, just kind of knowing that the other person's style is this way, strengths and weaknesses? Uh, yeah, I'm just really interested. It's been a uh, it's pretty much why I mean, why I'm on the podcast now, <laughs> like uh, working with G&G, I've uh, been able to run questions off of Corey and get some details from him and ask him what he would do and how he would do it. So it's definitely opened up our relationship a lot and um, super cordial now and stuff. So I feel comfortable, you know, asking him a question or sending him a text on race day if I need something. And he's, you know, kind of pulling for me and pulling for LJ and John because he's been with them for so long. So that's been nice to be able to run things off Corey. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, when they, they actually reached out and told me about, they were going to, you know, you reached out about, about riding the bikes. And I, I said, yeah, he's a good rider. I mean, I, I think as far as riders to put on the, on the motorcycles, I, th I thought you were a good choice and yeah, it, it's kind of cool to see. It's weird for sure. It's fucking weird. Well, when I saw you wear the, uh, with like the G and G leathers the first time I was like, wow, that's weird. <laughs> it's really weird. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I know like certain racetracks, I know when the bike's going to be good and I know when the bike's not going to be amazing um something you have to work on a little bit with like the motors like the coin i thought the bike would have been really good at the coin based off the amateur day and i was like yeah man you're gonna be good like yeah because you rode so well at sacramento uh you know so close to a podium and i'm like dude he's gonna podium the coin i guarantee it 
when I left the amateur day that, that, that afternoon or whatever at night. And then the track kind of changed a little bit. And I was like, Oh yeah, I don't think the bike, the bike, it's always in the mix. Like the bikes never, it's never horrific. It handles amazing. They do a great job with the motors. It just lacks some of the technology that the essence and bikes have. I'm, um, you know, or like the, the heavy weight in the engine that the FTR has. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always like, trying to watch because i'm busy when i'm at you know there i'm trying to help the the singles riders and the first impressions team but i'm always trying to go out and see like hey man if i can see something that i think would help um you know like lima i know we we talked a little bit there because i watched the first session and i knew honestly it was going to be challenging for you at lima because the way you ride and the how different the jm chassis is that you're used to it has a lot more flex than the than the cnj and you got to, you got to just some days take what the bike will give you. And I thought you did a really good job at that at Lima. You did a really good job at that. And there's another clay track too, where you like made adjustments and you kind of stuck to your game plan. And I think you're riding the bike. Awesome. It's definitely weird, but it's a cool, it's cool that it's opened up our, yeah, like our vibe a little bit and I'm able to kind of chat with you on things like that and yeah i never you told me three years ago i'd be i'd be pulling for colby on my old motorcycle i would have said you're fucking crazy but definitely <laughs> like definitely like seeing you do well on the motorcycle and jay uh john and lj they're the nicest people ever and i just they're like my family so yeah you're like my i guess like my stepbrother and kind of it's kind of weird like a weird little dynamic but yeah it's been cool man i I'm uh I'm hoping for that podium here, the remaining races on the schedule. So no pressure, dude, to get it done. Yeah, I uh like you said, John and LJ, they're the best, honestly. Probably some of the nicest people in the paddock and um they love this sport and LJ's so passionate and John's such a good mechanic and tuner and um I'm really lucky. I uh I wouldn't have gone racing if it was another deal. I kind of had another thing that I could have probably made happen but it would have been a lot more pressure and it you know it would have been one of those scenarios where if i'm not doing good there's a possibility that it just stops and goes away where i knew with lj and john you know from day one it was like you go out there you have fun you do the best you can do just have fun that's all we care about and if you get out there and you don't feel safe or anything that's fine we'll pack it up we'll go to the next race we don't care just we're all about having fun so that was like an immediate oh yeah let's do this like these guys believe in me and they, you know, they're all about having fun. And at this point in my career, after these past, specifically the last injury, it's now at this point, I'm got a very different viewpoint on racing American flat track and how I go about it. So that was what I needed out of a team. So I, uh, I got one more for you, Colby. I, I need you to knock me down a peg or two by by uh answering this question because I, I i i feel like i know what the answer is going to be but i i don't know if you remember this or not but do you remember the very first time and there's a follow-up to this do you remember the very first time that you would have met me or where it's at no nope good that's good my ego's checked so it was 2019 and it was at the springfield mile and um I can remember you were in the the infield after the uh, Labor Day mile and, you know, everybody loading up and stuff. And I know you had a pretty tough day that day. I think you actually, I think you broke or something like that or whatever, but I was brand new to the sport. 
I had just found out about it and I could, you were there loading your own bike. It was in essence in biking. It was like sweet. It was great. It was all that stuff. But you were there by yourself loading your van up and they had moved the fan walk or whatever to after. So I was like, I went up to you and I was like, oh, hey, you know, good job this weekend. I watched you. Uh, and I just think it's awesome that a professional rider is over here at the end of the race, loading up his own bike and stuff and just being super humble. And you were talking with everybody. And uh, so I'll always remember that. But I just uh, wanted to share that little nugget that the first time I met you was just like the most humble, like, hey, I'm just a racer. I'm just here. I'm loading my bike up. I'm, you know, on to the next rodeo. And I just thought that was really cool. So I've always just been a fan from that. So, yeah, I appreciate it. I, uh, I, I was probably in a good mood that day. I got, cause I, I must, and if it was 19, I either got second or first. Yeah. So I'm just not classes. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. Yeah. Cause I was looking at the so results for, yeah. So yeah, yeah, you're right on that one. I don't remember loading the bike up, but, uh, yeah, I'm glad, yeah. glad I wasn't a dick. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, you weren't a dick. The hair was flowing. <laughs> And you were just loading the bike up and just being like super chill or whatever. And that, that's another follow-up. Why the hell did you cut your hair? Did you get a, did you get like a real job? Did you go to school? Like what's, what's up with that? I am in school. I am. Oh. I'm a senior in college, but, um, I just wanted a change. Like I'd had that since 2016 or something. So I've been, I think I cut it in 20, so that'd have been four years and just wanted a change. Uh, different look for myself and i did donate it to wigs for kids so some little kids hopefully has it and fuck yeah i hope i put a smile on their face by doing that (laughs) that's awesome Awesome. does uh does anybody call you kolbs um uh i call not (laughs) i call you kolbs and uh amber gives me shit for it i'm like i'll say yeah i was like in the, in the car ride on the way home like one of the first races of the year i was like man kolbs did good and she was like oh kolbs you guys best friends now you got a nickname for him and i was like yeah fucking kolbs man he did good i didn't know if anyone, anyone called you that or where yeah, i heard that not from. some people do all right that's, yeah. yeah i don't kolbs. mind that nickname that's fun all right cool so well, you, you, gonna... you ditched the, the flying tomato that was your that was your mo for a while and it's kind of like nobody calls you that anymore so what yeah, are you uh where are you going to college at <laughs> where are you going to college at now Colby um I started at Arizona State they have this uh yeah. business school there it's called the WP Carey School of Business so now I just do it full-time online that's awesome yeah sweet that's yeah, cool yeah I'm always yeah. interested Super in cool. the, uh, the kids that go to school yep yeah I've not got, many not many people do it out for my future yeah no it's cool it's something you need it's not for everybody but you definitely need to have a plan at least. Um, you don't have to go to school. I never was planning on going to school, but everything uh, turned out really good where I was really lucky and blessed to be able to do that. So I'm taking full advantage of it. And, but I yeah. think every racer needs to have a plan, whether it's to, you know, get a blue collar job or start their own business or do something. Cause you know, racing changes very fast and, um, I would just like all of us to have success after racing. Yeah, yeah I got a, be a podcast host. I was gonna say he'd be a he'd be a good podcast. You should be a podcaster. He's got a mic and everything. So um yeah, and uh no, I think that'd be rad. But no, I was just kind of genuinely curious, man. What 
what keeps you going as a racer? I mean, you, you've had some injuries and honestly, man, it, it was tough. It's tough for me to, to see your injuries year after year. And, you know, it, it was, it, it bummed me out, like seeing you injured and, uh, that, that crash at, at, uh, where the hell I 70 was, that was tough, man. It was, it was tough for, I mean, even when people at that point we were, we were fine. Like we, we were fine to talk and stuff, but even people that aren't friends or get along and stuff like that. I mean, that's when somebody gets hurt, it's, it's tough on everybody in the sport. And I think everybody was really behind you and, and pulling for you and every injury you had, it was like, fuck man, he's that sucks. Like just trying to, trying to get through a few races without, without having anything happen. And what kind of keeps you going? Cause obviously you're, you're in college, you, you're very, very good uh, at a lot of different things and you're well-spoken. You could, you can, you could probably go on and be an announcer. You could do a podcast or anything really you want to do. It's a lot of racers. The transition's a lot harder than I feel like it'll be for you. So what motivates you to put the helmet on week in and week out? What keeps you going? My thing was I planned on racing until I graduated with my uh, bachelor's degree. Um, but so that'll be next summer sometime. But like after I broke my leg in Charlotte, I was kind of split. Like, and at that point I, um, my contract was over with Estenson and they were going with JD and Dallas and there was no hard feelings there or anything. I was uh, super grateful for everything they did for me and everything they still do for me at this point. So at that point in the winter, you know, I'm living alone at my house in Arizona. I've got a broken leg, I'm trying to learn to walk again. I can't walk until late January. And I was like, eh, I don't really care if I go racing or not. It wasn't something that I needed to do. Um, my friends were kind of pushing me that way. Like, yeah, you should do it. And I was like, okay, yeah, maybe we'll try. So then, you know, I was able to do the XG thing. And then I got a really late start fitness wise. So I didn't have a base going into the year and I was doing well, but I didn't have the fitness I needed. And then I had that injury I 70, which it's, that was, you know, really bad. Um, I, that an injury still definitely affects me every day. Like I'll have back pain pretty much every day in um, my ankle. I can't do a lot of the things I used to be able to do. I can't really run getting out of bed in the morning. I have pain, you know, the first probably 10 minutes. Um, it's definitely bad, but so like my plan was always to keep racing until I was done with college. Cause then I can use my degree and the money I make racing pays for my life and my house and everything. And, you know, I'm still, I'd like to think that I'm still good at it and I'm still good enough to be out there and I feel like I can compete safely. So that's kind of what pushed me, but really it was just my friends that wanted me, like they all pushed me to come back after that Missouri crash. I was completely done. Like I said, in that one interview on TV, I was like, I was scared. I didn't want to come back. Everything was just, I didn't want to get hurt again. It took so much out of me because, you know, within eight months I'd broken my leg and my broken my ankle and my back and I couldn't walk. So for six months, seven months out of a, a calendar year, I wasn't allowed to walk. And that really takes a mental toll on you. And, you know, depression set in and stuff. And my friends, you know, they kind of all picked me up and they're like, you're going racing again. You can still do this. You're still talented. So I was able to, you know, through them, like come back and then Springfield, I did okay. And then I was able to end the year with a podium, but I'd really say what kept pushing me through was just my friendship. But 
like at the end of 2022, I think it was, yeah, I didn't want to race anymore. I wanted to be a broadcaster. Like I wanted to announce alongside Scotty or whoever was the announcing. And I talked to AFT about that and there was some interest, but apparently not enough. And so I would have called it a career at that point. Like I would have been totally fine being an announcer because that still keeps me at the races. And I really had a lot of enjoyment being able to analyze the way the races were handled. And I really feel like I can bring something to the table there to help our sport grow with the production value that I could bring. Wow. <laughs> There's your yeah. quote of the podcast right there, right there. No, that's a way to uh, one hit us in the feels. Wow. Jesus, Colby. That was, no, that was a really good answer, but no, you're, 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 you're spot on about sometimes uh, the hardest thing is to admit you need help or, you know, understanding that your friends keep you going. So that's awesome to, uh, you know, kind of proverbially take the helmet off and kind of open up about that. Cause it, it, yeah, definitely sucks getting hurt. And uh, you know, definitely wish you well on the announcing career. I, uh, I make uh, no secret that I think we're lacking in that department. So I'd, I, you, you got my vote. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's just um, something I'm passionate about helping the sport grow. And I don't think I can do it in a lot of ways, but I think maybe, you know, that's a way that I could help it. Yeah. No, I, I, when I listened to you at Lima, I was a fan, man. It was a lot of your insight was really, really, really awesome. And yeah, it was cool to, it was cool. It's cool to hear rider, rider perspective and uh just overall yeah I, I i also vote eric that's a that's a good option let's let's do that maybe in the future but are you gonna you gonna ride next year are you any plans on that yet Have any i mean i i wouldn't say this was a bad year for you at all i mean i some of the rides you had at sack and i mean dude you you almost you almost beat jd for the podium honestly i thought you i thought you had it so uh yeah you're still able to go out there and be competitive so is there is there motivation to do it one more year or what's what's the plan like for the early future um like we haven't talked about it yet uh, lj and john and i about next year but i just want i'll never go out there and just be like a number in the field so if i do go into 2024 i'm gonna be uh super committed and i have to believe that i can be like a five through ten guy at least where so like, I just don't want to be out there just to be out there. You know, it's too dangerous of a sport and we're putting in too much investment. And like for a guy like me or you, you know, we're spending so much time training and eating properly and doing all this stuff. So for me to just go out there and be like a guy, a field filler or like no disrespect to anyone at all, but just my safety level and the way that I've, you know, my career has gone at this point where if I don't feel like I can go out there and compete at a high level and you know, compete for that top five. I don't want to be out there. It's just, well, once you get a taste too for winning races and winning championships, it's, it's hard to like, you made a career racing and that's not something a lot of people can do. So yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I agree a hundred percent. So, but hopefully we see you out there, dude. It's, it's been cool to kind of see you come back racing, watch you on the, uh, on my old steeds, I, I sat on it at, where was that Bridgeport? I sat on it. It felt pretty similar, honestly, our setup. I know you run things a little bit stiffer and you don't run the barbacks, which is, is, would be tough for me to ride the bike, but it felt like home when I sat on it. So it's been a good year for you, man. I definitely appreciate you coming on the podcast. It was long time coming, man. It was, it was cool to have you on a lot of good insight. I'm sure the fans will dig it. And 
I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll catch up here in the next week or so, uh, at a race. I appreciate it. I'm glad you guys had me on and I hope everyone enjoys this little, uh, insight to my life. Appreciate you, dude. Good luck at rapid city and we'll chat you here soon. Thanks again. All right. Take care guys. Peace. That was a good one, Eric. I love that. That was cool. A lot of good insight. A lot of a lot of laughs, man. I was enjoying it. That was it was cool. He came on the podcast. Yeah. I always enjoy the ones where like the uh, the layers are peeled back and you get to see behind the curtains. And you know that was just that was another one of those um, where it just gets you fired up. Uh, you know, as a fan of the sport and someone that's you know heavily invested in the sport. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a good kid. It's. Uh, I'm, I will say I'm glad he didn't say he was going to Bradley because that's the university in Peoria. And uh, sorry for the people from Illinois, but I went to SIU for college, so I will never support Bradley. But uh, that's a that's a local two one seven joke that probably no one outside of that area code understands. But yeah, so throw that out there. Yeah, I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. But John, 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 John. It's cool that uh, how far race, oh, man, racing. Honestly, man, I get so burnt out from flat track. Just I've done it my whole life. And just some of the fans are just brutal and the shit you read and the negativity and the, yeah. a lot of the bull crap really burns you out. And it, it makes me want it some days. I'm, I'm just being honest. It makes me want to just, just move on and do something else with my life. Like I dedicate so much time to growing the sport and I'm around it so much. And now it's what my son does. And it's just, there's a lot of days where I'm mentally burnt out, but interviews like that, that fires yeah. me up, man. That keeps me motivated and kind of mending relationships with people. It's, it's really cool to have that opportunity and it's kind of just a real cool aspect of the sport and life in general and definitely appreciate his willingness to come on. And I wouldn't say our rivalry was over overly heated, but obviously there was moments where I wanted to kill, I wanted to kill a guy. <laughs> I was I was not a fan of Colby at all. And uh, yeah, it's crazy how far along you can come on this pod. I mean, I think, I think when I first started the pod, I said there were two people that I'd probably never have on and it was Colby and Henry Wiles and we've had Colby on. So now it's time to get, get hammer and Hank on. And it's, uh, it's cool to, it's cool to grow as, uh, as individuals on and off the track. And yeah, a lot of, a lot of respect for Colby always, always had respect for him as a rider and uh, as a person, man, it's cool to see how far along he's come. So it's cool. I think what we got to do now, you know, we were talking about um, getting a, a run of tank slapping podcast shirts. I think what we might want to look into is uh, uh, Colby 2024 tank slapping podcast t-shirts. I'm just like a election tee. <laughs> yeah. Like, we both tea? know what we're, push- yeah, <laughs> but we're both know what we're pushing for. So, <laughs> yeah, I like it, man. Yeah. No, that's, no, and it's, I mean, I just, I thought he did an amazing job at it. And honestly, I'm going to fucking yeah. be on him about starting a podcast. I mean, I, I would, I yeah. love, and people, you know, I've always advocated and I was, I've always been an advocate for more podcasts and more media and things yeah. like that. I mean, that part of the sport, I personally feel a rising tide raises all ships. I mean, when somebody goes on and they listen to someone else's podcast or, or something else, then they're going to, they're going to find our podcast or vice versa. And I, I, I truly, you know, think more media would help this sport a lot. I mean, you look at Supercross and Moto and there's so many different podcasts with different, different vibes. And I listen to a lot of them. 
you know, I listen to pulp. I listen to gypsy tales. I listen to, I've listened to whiskey throttle. There's so many, uh, Adam Cincerella has a new podcast. Christian Craig has one. I listened to uh, his podcast with Hayden Deegan. And I just think it's, it's cool. And I think somebody like Colby, man, that would be sick to have him on as long as, and I think he's the right guy for it. Like, I don't think we need any podcasts or media that's, you know, negative or spreading, you know, shit that's gonna, it's just not, not positive. I think it's cool to kind of have each other's back in the sport a little bit. I think we, I think a lot of people don't. And I think that's something where not everybody needs to be friends, but there should be a level of respect and, and appreciation for the people that are helping grow the sport and, and give back to it for sure. So yeah, let's keep it. Let's keep them rolling, man. That was an excellent, excellent podcast. I'm, uh, I'm pumped up about where we're going with these interview pods. We definitely have some really cool ones lined up and want to make sure we shout a few of these sponsors. I didn't want to interrupt the, the pod to shout these sponsors out. So hopefully you guys can listen to this part of the, on, of the show and show some appreciation to these sponsors that keep us going. Yamaha Motorsports and Yamaha Racing. Check out their website, yamahamotorsports.com, motorcycle, ATV, side-by-side, snowmobile, and power products. Yamaha revs your heart. Indian Motorcycle since 1901. Indian Motorcycle. Damn, that's such a long time. 1901. That's like, it's it's just crazy to think about. Uh, Indian Motorcycle has been the choice of riders who make their own rules. Great lineup of motorcycles. They just crushed it over the weekend at Brainerd in the bagger class. My man, Bobby Fong, got a win on the on the Indian challenger shout out to Bobby Fong and Steve DiLorenzi actually sponsors his team, Eric, who's a SDI installation, the promoter of the sack mile and sponsor of Jared Meese. He's, he sponsors Bobby Fong's Indian motorcycle bagger program. So it's cool to see that. It's cool to see them get a win. Moto America appreciate everything they do for the podcast. Not only as, you know, I've been a fan of Moto America for a long time. It's just really cool to, Cool to watch their events, follow them on social media. So many amazing clips from the weekend at Brainerd. So give them a follow on social media and a big shout out to Jerry Stinchfield, uncle Jerry roof systems of Dallas, Texas, commercial industrial roofing company with nearly 40 years of experience. Appreciate Jerry as well. Any wrap ups on that dude before we No sir. Call it I, a day. Uh, go take me some pain medicine. I got to eat dinner. It's uh 940 Eastern time here. And I just realized I didn't eat any fucking dinner. So I got to go. go I'm going to go wake, go wake Amber up and say, Hey, hon, you want to make some dinner? <laughs> oh, uh, Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. I I'm, I'm self-sufficient. I'll just, uh, I don't, actually, I don't know what I'll do. I'll eat a banana or some big banana guy. There you go. <laughs> it's a wrap. It's a wrap on the pod. Yes, sir. Guys. Until the next time we out. <laughs>